from your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. I like Eileen. Eileen's eight. Eileen says, never try and baptise a cat. <laughs> Great words of wisdom. But you know what, being quite serious, uh, I can't actually remember the last time someone had a conversation with me and said, so-and-so is incredibly wise, so-and-so's a wise person. And uh, I, I can't think of anyone who's actually told me about someone they knew, someone they know who they consider to be incredibly wise. I've certainly had it said many times that a certain person is knowledgeable, a certain person knows well about a certain subject, uh, they're well-versed in a subject, uh, they've been educated in a specific subject, but wise? I've never actually heard that. And James has mentioned at the start of chapter 3 that not many should want to be teachers. And it is a fact that all teachers are going to be subject to greater judgment come that day. And he talked about, James talked about how we all stumble in many ways. Then he went on to talk about taming the tongue. And now he speaks about wisdom. But it isn't wisdom as we generally think of it. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, thank you you're in this house tonight. Thank you for your presence, your love you pour out upon us. Thank you that we can hear from you. And Lord, our desire is to hear from you now. Will you open up the truth of your word to us? Will you give us receptive hearts and minds to hear what you have to say? We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we think about this wisdom that God speaks about, it is a wisdom that should clearly be evident in our lives. And as we look at the topic of wisdom, it's obvious that James is again emphasizing that it comes with a need for action. It's a repetitive theme all through James. He talks about what should happen, what you should know, but then it is put into action. There's a call to move. And our actions need to reflect our commitment to Christ. And the wisdom he speaks about is not just a head knowledge. He explains that true wisdom is in applying that knowledge to our lives. It has to do with action as much as it has to do with our intellect. And James sees this, this wisdom demonstrated in two ways, as we heard from James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And James is saying here, the wisdom has to do with our conduct, how we interact with others, what our attitude is like. An attitude plays a huge part in our lives as Christians. Someone truly committed to Christ sees no need to advertise their wisdom or knowledge, and they're content to live lives that bring honour and glory to God. They're not overpowering on people. They're not showing what they know. And for each of us, it's about the wisdom that we say we have being lived out. Your life will reflect the wisdom that you have. So what is this wisdom? Which wisdom do we actually have? There's two that are spoken about. One is the wisdom from below. So James says that there's two different types of wisdom. There's this earthly wisdom, this wisdom from below. And then there's this godly wisdom, a wisdom that comes from above. And 3, 14 to 16 says, But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now back in verse 13, James is speaking indirectly to the people. Who among you? You know, it's quite a broadly thrown thing. But when he comes to this, his tone changes. He says, but if you... It's very pointed. He's calling people to account. He's asking them to consider this. If you do this, 
And so he's quite forceful in the way he points this out. And he moves from general terms to terms that are more uh, statements of fact or accusation. And the word translated bit of jealousy here is a word that actually means zeal. There's a lot of things that are lost in translation in this part of Scripture. And it's the term that can be positively used, but it can, it's a term that obviously is negatively used as well. And in this case, it's a zeal that is motivated by self-interest. It is a result of attitudes of envy and desire. And it's so self-centered and so self-focused that it blinds the person involved to any reasonable judgment that otherwise would have been there. And we lose a bit of translation here when James speaks about the selfish ambition as well. He's addressing those who claim a superior wisdom or spirituality. Those people were gathering around with those of like mind and would charge or believe others in the church were lacking in spirituality. This is what was occurring in this church. And they saw themselves as above the spiritual officers of the church and they would declare, teach or speak to others about their superiority. And James urges these people to refrain from their boasting. These are people who are claiming to follow Christ. And James is saying, stop your boasting because it's not of God. What you're doing is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. So when we think about earthly, we need to consider that is earthbound. It is of this world. And it's an attitude that focuses on what can be gained in the here and now. And that's something that's fed to us continuously in all the media that we see. It's about looking out for number one, doing anything and everything in order to serve ourselves. He also says it's unspiritual. And this is really interesting. The word translated unspiritual here is only used in four places, four other places in the New Testament. And the easiest way to explain it is um, these people are people who are merely living. They haven't experienced the touch of God in their lives. They haven't been transformed. They haven't been changed. And James is calling out these people who speak or seek their own personal status and prestige. And this is something that a true follower of God would not do. And these people have this appearance of being Christian, but they're not. And then the final reference is to being demonic. And this word is a rare one as well. The original word is used for the first time here in James. It's not used in any other texts. It has a couple of meanings. It's the teaching or behavior that is occurring as a result, an instigation of demonic forces, or it's a teaching or a behavior that is so similar to those of the demonic forces that it's hard to discern whether it is or isn't. Either way, it's obviously very, very bad. And James says that the wisdom of these people with a foundation or base of jealousy or selfish ambition does nothing to strengthen the church. It only serves to bring disorder and every vile or evil practice. And again, I have to point out the original text is a little lost here. The word translated disorder here is the same word that is used in James 1.8. Oops, I didn't put James 1.8 in there. Okay, James 1.8 is, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that is speaking singularly to a person, but when James uses it here, where he speaks about disorder, he's speaking about the church as a whole. So the teachings or directions of these self-appointed spiritually elite leaders are doing nothing for the church, and in fact, they're damaging the church. This double-mindedness and instability causes questions about direction of the entire church, questions about purpose, questions about the heart of the church. And James calls for it to stop. And obviously, there's another way. This is the wisdom from above. 
The wisdom that James is speaking of comes from above. It's a godly wisdom. Remember when we first started this series way back in James 1. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This is the wisdom that James is speaking of. The wisdom above that we're told to earnestly seek is one of those things that we can actually ask God for. And then James goes on to list a number of virtues similar to the fruit of the Spirit in 3.17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What you would have seen in the NIV was a little bit different there. And again, some of the translations aren't great, but um, we will be able to work out exactly what is being said. So purity is that freedom from contamination, that freedom from defilement as such. It's a heart that has this holiness towards God. And we've heard about the silversmiths and things like that and what God desires in refining us that as the silversmith puts the silver in the furnace and all the dross rises to the top and they push that off and he keeps doing that more and more until the silver reflection is a direct reflection of that person refining it. So when God looks upon us come that day, His desire is to see himself perfectly reflected in the work that he's created. That's what the silversmith desires. Are we ever going to attain that, this side of glory? I'm not. It's just not going to happen. But we want this purity. We desire to be more like God. This wisdom. We want to seek if we have this wisdom. We want to seek and obey God. We want to be doing His will and purposes. We want to know what He wants us to do throughout our days in our workplaces and everything that we do. And it's all about us having this new life in Christ. We've put to death our old self. And it's about continuing to have that life, to continually put to death our old self. Because I don't know about you, my old self creeps up on me sometimes. And He seems to get a hold of me and He gets me to do things that I don't want to do. And I was like, man, get behind me. And we've got to do it again and again and again each and every day. That's our sanctification. You and me, God, together today, what are we going to do each and every day? We need to be peaceable. That's what it says here. Or peace-loving is what the NIV said. Peace is something that needs to be pursued. It's not something that is just going to happen. It won't come on its own. We have to choose to avoid arguments, not to not listen to gossip, to not take sides. And could you imagine how that sort of damage would be halted if one party just said, no, not doing it. If someone approached you to gossip about someone, you said, not going there, and just walked away from it. If someone wanted to argue with you and you just said, sorry, not doing that, and just walked away, it'll just dispel everything. We're also called to be gentle. The NIV says, considerate. This is about justice. These are people who will not abuse their positions of responsibility, power, or authority. They remain calm in difficult situations and are sober-minded in those same situations. They hold true to their integrity. In this case, their wisdom is directly from Christ. They're also open to reason. And again, the NIV says this is submissive. And this is about discerning truth. It's referring to the people who can recognize the truth when they hear it. And they don't only hear it, they willingly receive and receive instruction from it as a result. And taking this virtue and the previous one together, James is referring to people who are both gentle and reasonable. So these characteristics can be easily demonstrated whether you're in a position of authority or if you're subservient to those in authority. And then he says we should be full of mercy. Mercy is best expressed in how God spared us from eternal judgment and harm 
through the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't give us what he deserved, what we deserved, hey? That's his mercy. And we're called to show the same mercy. Those who treat us poorly, those who hate us, those who dump on us continuously, we're called to show their mercy. And we're called to show true acts of kindness and love. Think about back in James 1.27 where it speaks about visiting orphans and widows and doing those acts of kindness and things like that. It's continued throughout Scripture. That's what we're called to do and show mercy. We're also called to have good fruits, it says up here. And these are all the good works of God. John 15.16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What's the fruit that abides? It's fruit that goes on into eternity. It's not something that we gather on this earth. And for me, the greatest fruit that we can have on this earth, the greatest fruit that we can produce as followers of Christ is bringing others into the kingdom. Thurindu shared about, uh, I, I've enjoyed being on the journey with Thurindu through his life and uh, it wasn't always easy for him to share. You know, he had that nice little group that he was with in the university and then he got out in the real world. But we do, we pray for that 30 seconds of bravery. We pray for that 30 seconds of courage to talk about Christ. And these guys are doing it. And they're seeing great things happen as a result. And, you know, you speak to them after the service. There's quite a few people doing this. And they'll tell you that the first time they did it, they were scared. They were really, really scared. The second time they did it, they were scared, but not really, really scared. And then it just diminishes. And they become braver and braver and braver as they share God's word. Because they know. They know that people are receptive to it. They know that people want to hear about Jesus. So that's one of the good fruits. And then James says this. The wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. He finishes off all these virtues with impartial and sincere. We spoke about partiality and showing favoritism a few weeks ago, and we realized that we're not supposed to be showing favoritism to people and things like that. But when he speaks about being impartial, I wonder if we realize that this means exactly the opposite of being double-minded. We hear about the double-minded man in Scripture who doesn't know which way he should be going or what he should be doing. Those who are not, sorry, those who are not impartial are straight down the line. When we're impartial, we're refusing to treat anyone unequally. We're making a decision to live in a way that honors God. We don't honor one person above another. All are made in God's image and we're determined with God's wisdom to treat everyone exactly the same, to treat all people equally. And when we live like that, with God's wisdom, there's no hypocrisy. There's a willingness to say, this is who I am. I'm a sinner, just like you. I'm no better, I'm no worse. This is me. I make mistakes. I don't get things right. And you know what? I don't care who knows. It's not about me. It never has been. And then James finishes with this in 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I don't know if you've experienced the peace that this speaks of. I, I, I had a terrible life. I was so messed up. Um, 
My high school life wasn't great. I dropped out three parts of the way through grade 11. Most of my mates are doing life. Some for terrible crimes. Obviously, they're terrible crimes if they've done, if they're there for life. But I think about that. And I think about how God took me out of that situation. I didn't come to faith at that time, but he took me out of that situation. That's God's grace. Then when things came to a head and I thought my life wasn't worth living and things like that, I, I didn't get to the point of suicide. I'm not saying that, but I was questioning whether my life was worth living or anything like that. That's when God stepped in. That's when he made a difference. And I've got to tell you, you know, it didn't change anything. I was still in the same difficult situation. I was still struggling with where I was going to go, what I was going to do. But this sense of peace and love came over me. And I just knew things were going to be okay. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I knew things were going to be okay. That's the peace that we understand. And we speak about this harvest of righteousness. It can only be found in God. We're talking about true peace, which is found in who God is, in his righteousness. A truly wise person will be a peacemaker because godly wisdom produces and promotes peace with God first and foremost. I've experienced that. And then with others. And as we've moved through this piece of scripture, I hope you've seen the contrast that James has made between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom brings disorder, disunity, imbalance. Godly wisdom brings peace, unity, good fruit, and a harvest. As I was preparing this, um, I was using a number of concordances and things like that. One of them was written by a guy called David Nistrom. And he, he got a college... Uh, friend to sorry a colleague to go to his college and actually speak to his students um, and initially he wanted to speak about Christian community and I'm, I'm not going down a garden path here this is actually what he wrote in the midst of what he said about this passage in James and in thinking about godly wisdom he asked these students he said what does relationship look like within the church and, of course, they were a bit reluctant to speak because this was their professor after all and everything like that. But they actually ended up recording their messages, their, their thoughts, sorry, and things started to flow. I want you to think about what I'm, the things I'm about to say and think about if this is actually true. When it comes to our church community, I don't know if this is true or not. You guys would know a lot better than me. You've been here a lot longer. People put up a facade Relationships are basically superficial. These are young people saying this. Most of the time, people are not sincere. But there are plenty of people who are caring. It often feels artificial, speaking about church. People are really nice, as in the appearance of peace. People are usually considerate. When people are friendly, it is usually with other Christians. It is not usually extended to those outside the church. People are too busy. The church is highly structured. The church is hierarchical, with clear unspoken rules of power. Pastor, deacons, long-time members and wealthy members have the power. 
People want to avoid conflict. Then the question was asked, why they think this is so, given the biblical model of Christian community? And once again, the answers were recorded. We have other priorities, money, appearance, recognition. We are dishonest with ourselves about these, our true priorities. So they're saying these things are the things that are the true priorities of people in the church. We fear persecution by the world. We're afraid of the consequences of truth. We often avoid telling someone else the truth and we tell ourselves this is because we wish to protect their feelings. But we know the real reason is that we don't want to have to deal with the potential unpleasantness of the situation. We're afraid of facing the fact that we cannot live up to the biblical standards. We realise we cannot make a difference in the world or even in our church. So why should I even try? And finally, she asked them to describe the values of our culture. And they said, materialism. We want things. We want attention, even fame. We desire greed, power and status. We are careless about other people, especially people we do not know. Our culture loves temptation. We're into self-protection. We're fearful, we're aggressive, we're proud, not humble. We assume, we do not bother to find out, we make assumptions about people and judge them superficially without really knowing them. Does any of that ring true? Is that where we are as a people of God? Again, I don't know. I think there's so many of us that fear not measuring up to God's standards. And that's not what this is about. Never has been. And we worship this incredible God who wants to pour his love, grace and glory out upon each and every one of us. He wants to make a difference in your life. And I can testify to the fact that he can make a difference in your life. I'm more than willing to talk about it. James' letters teach us some pretty exacting standards. It's been, I know some people have spoken to me about how many challenges have come out of um, this study of James. But we seem to forget in the middle of all that James is saying, there's this message of forgiveness too. We don't have a standard that we have to meet. God accepts us unconditionally. We just have to come and bow before his throne, tell him we were wrong, ask him for his forgiveness, and he will forgive us. No exceptions. He loves us so dearly. So desperately, he wants us with him in glory. So this week, can we just think about our lives individually? Don't think about anyone else around you. Let's just stop doing that. James 1.5 tells us to ask God for wisdom, or it invites us to ask God for wisdom. We can do that, each and every one of us. I think we should be praying and asking God for wisdom. But I think off the back of that too, especially with what we've heard tonight. There could be some confession involved. We could be saying things like, God, I've been pursuing success. I've been pursuing riches. I've been pursuing knowledge. I've been pursuing education. And none of that has been of you. I should now be pursuing wisdom. And it should be your godly wisdom that I value. Give me the wisdom I need 
to navigate this world, Lord, to navigate this life so that I can live in honour and glory of you. It'd be good, as I said a few weeks ago, to memorise the Beatitudes if you can. Um, And this week, spend some time, go to Google, search for the word wisdom and Bible or wise and Bible and see what comes up. Just study all those things. Don't let this pass. And honour someone else this week. Think of someone who has had an influence upon you, someone who perhaps you could call wise. And think of a way that you might be able to bless them. Thank them. Send them a card, send them an email, send them a text. Just take the opportunity. You know, you might be the only person who ever encourages them, the only person who ever thanks them. And then I want you to think about those people in your life that you go to for guidance and opinions. This isn't a judgment thing. This isn't about putting people down. But I want you to think about those that you regularly go to. Are they godly men and women? Are they men and women who are going to want to feed into you the wisdom of God? Are they men and women who are going to instruct you in the right way to go? Or are they going to be people who are going to feed you the wisdom of the world? We need to make some choices about who we go to and who we seek instruction from. And don't hear me wrong. In your workplace, if you're being mentored by someone about your occupation, don't go outside that to a Christian. Stick with the person who knows the job. But when it comes to Christian living and walking before God, in your general life, you need to go to men and women who are going to have your life, your spirituality and your eternity in mind. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your love that you pour out upon us so freely. I thank you that you're present with us each and every day. And Lord, I thank you for your word that is available to us so freely. And Lord, there's so many things that we've said tonight, so many of us, Lord. I was one of these people that pursued wealth. I pursued um, possessions. And Lord, I know you've forgiven me for that. But Lord, there's some here tonight who maybe that was what they were pursuing. There's some here tonight, Lord, who thought they had to get a certain type of job, a certain type of education so that they could live a certain lifestyle. And Lord, you're calling them to something else. Lord, will you help us, each one of us, just to put aside the things that hinder us from honouring and glorifying you as much as we could? Lord, it's not about how much knowledge we've got. It's not about how much earthly wisdom we have. It's about how much we submit to you, how much we honour you. So, Father, do your work tonight, I pray. Call us to your side. In Jesus' name, amen.